great to have you back for the second part of the session with Sama Hatta. I highly recommend you to first listen indeed to the first part of this session where Samar and I already discussed some general concepts about light exposure and effects uh, for you to humans. If that sounds completely new to you, then I even recommend to first listen to the previous episode on the 24-7 Muscle Podcast where I generally explained concepts of how light can affect and influence human physiology that's going to give you all the basics needed for the session in general with Samahata so also for the second part but yeah really do it in chronological order first start with the first part and then uh, this part should be your next to click on and um, in the first part we already talked about um, the general concepts and we discussed how you might use blue blocking glasses in the context of avoiding negative effects that uh, especially light in in the evening so in the late hours of your of your wake period can have and in this second period we're gonna go uh, into some rather new concepts probably for you as well that i think are really really interesting when it comes to how light influences human physiology and and metabolic health and these concepts are around the extraocular phototransduction which basically means that light can have effect can influence the human human health and human metabolism via pathways that are not mediated by the eyes so there are other cells in the body that can sense light and can thereby change uh, its their behavior their metabolism but we're gonna go into the details of that within the discussion with summer and we also going to discuss the so-called human ability to adapt to trouble so with trouble when it comes to light i mean light in the evening when the sun has set and people do not really appreciate these rather negative uh, most of the time negative effects on their health and um, especially people tell me then if i want to convince them about the negative effects they tell me i sleep well anyway and as, yeah summer and i are going to discuss this concept and also what um, why people should still think about avoiding light in the evening even if they still sleep well and we also gonna look into how light in the evening so not only might affect your sleep but also increases appetite for highly palatable food so it's gonna induce cravings um, especially known through sleep deprivation to to yeah to reduce sleep quality so the next day you're rather gonna crave unhealthy foods and we also gonna go into details on this discussion we also gonna discuss the aging effects on the eyes and the lens of us humans so what's happening in the eye and via changes within the eye how is our metabolic health our physiology affected by aging and so the the light perspective on aging 
and we also shortly gonna go into seasonal changes in light and how that's affecting possibly human physiology and um, we also there are going to discuss the concept of circa-annual clocks which as you have learned in previous episodes you uh, learned about circadian clocks so everything that is going to have a 24-hour rhythm and is going to make sure that the cell has information about this 24-hour rhythm outside of the cell and is yeah gonna direct its metabolism accordingly to this 24-hour rhythm but there are also so-called circa-annual clocks in certain animal species these have been have been identified and um, they basically change the behavior of the organism according to seasonal changes in light as you will know in winter days uh, get shorter so the the period that the sun is out depending on where you are on our planet earth uh, the days get much shorter for example in scandinavia but um, yeah we will discuss the details here and i don't want to uh, talk too much before going in back to into the recording with summer and i hope you enjoy this just as the first part something that i'm again very interested about is the circadian extraocular phototransduction in humans and just as a little anecdote from my master's program when i got really excited about this entire field of circadian rhythms one older paper of 1998 really struck my mind back then. It's a science paper from Campbell and Murphy, and I'm going to um, link that to the show notes as well. Um, me back then as a naive master student thought, okay, that's that's completely a game changer. And I, I thought, why is that not more picked up in the literature? So to give a little bit of a summary of that study, what Campbell and Murphy did, and you can correct me if I'm missing something, is that they were shining a bright light, little bright light lamp on the popliteal skin region, which is the region behind the knee. And they made sure that none of that light would be sensed by the eyes of the participants. They took healthy participants. The age range was quite wide, I remember. So and they, they measured core temperature and they measured melatonin. And they found that this little exposure of the, of the area behind the knee was sufficient to influence melatonin and core body temperature. And then that really blew my mind back then because I thought, yeah, okay, that I was thinking it only went via the eyes and just uh, exposing the, the skin area behind the knees sufficient to do something but then after some days and letting it sink into my system and reading more about it i realized okay that's not the end of the story there were more studies being conducted and they could not replicate the findings of campbell and murphy can write tried so hard and published the paper i just hope like honestly i hope the authors withdraw this paper personally because <laughs> i really don't think it's true i mean yeah. just to be just completely blunt based on the amount of data amount of good people who try to replicate it and with no with no success i mean there must have been some leak to the eyes i mean again yeah. it's the rot system is important and if you put humans in complete darkness the system is so sensitive any leakness of light is going to affect your circadian system so yeah i mean it's it's also hard if you're light adapted as an experimental to notice light leaks because your system is light adapted <laughs> so yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, honestly, as you said, it, it blew my mind also. I was still in graduate school. And in fact, uh, after I heard that it's not completely replicable, when 1999 paper by Russell Foster Group came out, I said, oh, my God, it's another science disaster. <laughs> but this time it was correct. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there is another photopigment in the eye. So, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to be too rude, but I'm not, I'm not convinced the study is, is, yeah. is correct. Yeah, I think we can take that as the conclusion for now. But independent but of on that, the other hand, but on the other yeah. hand, how you're seeing all these extra ocular, they are mostly local. One thing that is really interesting, most of them affect only local effect. So again, this is still a contradiction from that human studies. Like, for example, beautiful work by Ethan Burr has shown that you could entrain the cornea clock, or but the effects are more local on the local clocks, which is to me, is very interesting. Even the neuroopsin 5, which does something in the retina, we still can get action potential from the cells that express neuroopsin 5 in response to light. So there's still something we don't understand. There's clearly some very exciting stuff happening. The other thing that I find very interesting, but that's not a shot, low, like I'm not trying to belittle it, is that they need incredibly bright light conditions, like incredibly bright light conditions, like more of a day sunlight. And so they, that, there is all that to me that tells me they are doing something, they'll be doing something in a very specific situation, maybe for protection of UV. I mean, that could be something interesting to think about, but I haven't, I haven't seen how it will integrate into the systemic, similar to the light behind the knee where you affect body temperature or melatonin release. So, yeah, but it's very interesting, right? I mean, it's very interesting that Ethan Burr beautifully showed that this neuroopsin 5 can entrain the clock, the, the clock in the retina, independent of the three main opsins. So hmm. um, cone opsins, rod opsins, and male opsins. So, so there's something going on. Uh, there is no doubt about it. We still don't have the full story. And I love when Ethan talks about that because he, he admits that. I was really fascinated when, when I saw these papers also rather recently coming out. And I'm again going to link them to the, to the show notes of this episode is that apparently also adipocytes of humans and also in mice uh, have opsins, at, at least express opsins. This and, is from um, Richard Lang's work, Richard Lang's lab, right? I think so, yeah. I think so. I will have to look it up. Work. Yeah, beautiful work. I mean, it's convincing. The data is convincing. They knocked out the right options. They have effects. What is the mechanism and how these things are happening? I'm still, I still have gaps, but that doesn't mean that they are not correct, right? I mean, there are gaps, but, but that's such a new area of research that we have to be open-minded about it. If, if I want the, re, the listeners to just remember that your ocular system in mammals and humans is still far more efficient and the most important aspect, right? I mean, it's just that system is very strong. You see it in, in you know, in, in situations in, in animals and humans where there's blind situation where you cannot entrain, even you possibly have the peripheral oscillators and stuff like that. So still that ocular system is the one we need to think about most, right? So that's, that's no doubt about it. I, I completely agree that that's probably good to, to acknowledge that even if there are other mechanisms and other cells 
And just to, to mention again what, what they did in the adipocytes in humans was that they isolated these adipocytes and they actually uh, exposed them to light in vitro and they could show that the metabolism of the adipocytes changes according to the light environment. And I think that's, of course, really exciting thinking about fat tissue accumulating in metabolic diseases and possibly people also lacking in terms of, of daylight exposure and so on. But so, I have uh, to tell you, I mean, you've asked about this at the beginning, and I think the whole light effect on the sympathetic system affecting, you know, let's just mention a couple of organs, liver, pancreas, you know, the, the microbiome, there is a lot of evidence that light darks are oh, yes, yeah. So I think, you know, in addition to that, you still you have this strong ocular input that is affecting the sympathetic system and causing all these very interesting aspects that we need to think about as well. Yeah, and I mean, also how, how relevant would it really be to, for example, if we take the, the knee exposure, for example, so how, how relevant would that be to, to say, okay, if I shine light on, on a certain spot on my body, would there be any situation in everyday life where not also your eyes would get that light? Yeah, I think in, in a way this is interesting, but if you look at other animals, and that's that's something I wanted to discuss with you, maybe you won't be very interested, but if you think of Drosophila or, or zebrafish, the organism that people have studied a lot, they do have very sensitive eyes that really have all the systems that we're talking about, but they also have these extraocular photoreceptors. So there is clearly some evolutionary advantage. Now, why was it in mammals all centralized so majorly to the eye? I still don't have, and that's where the escape from UV hypothesis becomes more easy for mammals that we escaped the UV, so we didn't need these less sensitive non-ocular. But it, it's not completely satisfying because these areas still receive input from the retina. So, so there's clearly something that happened where evolution thought it'd be better to centralize it than to get all these different responses. Why? I don't know. You know, I mean, like in, in, in zebrafish, it'd be hard to find the tissue that is not light sensitive and, and light sensitive in a very strong manner. So, you know, same thing with Drosophila. I mean, you know, so it's, it's, it's so interesting. I, I don't think we still have a lot of understanding of what's going on there. But again, it tells you how important light is, right? Even animals that live underground and, and don't have eyes, uh, like worms, they have a way to detect light, to, to escape, you know. So there is, there is clearly not only the clock, the clock you can understand, but even for other behaviors, escaping, burrowing down. So there is a lot to, we still have to learn. Uh, I hope there's going to be more studies coming out in that area soon. It has to. It has to, honestly. <laughs> Okay, um, we can switch gears a little bit. So what I wanted to ask is also something you mentioned with uh, Andrew Huberman was the point that you can, you must not necessarily suffer from sleep deprivation when you are exposed to light at the wrong time of the day. So thinking about the, the evening and something that always uh, pops up in my mind when thinking about this is when I tell my family members about <clears throat> this being important that you avoid light in the evening that you don't look at a super bright tv for example and my stepdad he always says i'm, I'm sleeping well frida so why should i wor worry about my light exposure how do i convince him that that still matters to him and 
yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? So honestly, this is a really interesting point. And I, I've thought about this a little bit. I mean, to me, it, it's usually hard to imagine people getting, in humans at least, in mice, we could generate the cycle that worked for mice. But in humans, it'd be hard to imagine you could still expose yourself to different light environments and still have normal sleep or not delay your sleep and stuff like that. So I think there are two ways you could answer this question. One, which is that humans sometimes really get adapted to the trouble, right? So a lot of people would say, you know, I'm sleeping well or I'm feeling great. And then you give them a intervention and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know how badly I was sleeping or I didn't know I had all this pain. Because you, you, humans have an incredible way to adapt to bad environments, right? And so it's great that you're adapting, but are you being healthy is the questions that you have to ask. Like we're all like I, when I was 275 pounds, when, you know, I was stressed and I was not sleeping well, playing games till like 2 a.m. in the morning. And, and I gained a lot of weight and I thought, you know, people say, but you're not going to be healthy. I'm like, no, I'm healthy. Then you go, you do your blood thing or you try to run or you lose weight and then you're like oh my god how did i think that i was healthy so i think that's what happens a lot of time with the humans that somebody will say oh i'm sleeping well but actually they have adapted to being uh, sleep deprived they have adapted in a physiological way that is not healthy to the new environment that they have in and they think they are okay with it and that's a problem in the humans because your consciousness can adapt to that. But the truth, when other people see you, they notice, they say, oh, look, you look tired, or you, know, you gained a lot of weight, or something like that. You don't actually sometimes notice that yourself. So these are the two ways I could answer them. There could be a very specific situations in people where, you know, even though they're exposed to light, they still somehow can sleep very well and have no issues. But I think that seems like highly unlikely for me, to be honest. No, I, Especially I, I, if they are exposed to very bright light at night. It, it just it tells me that either they are so tired that they are sleeping despite the fact. But, you know, I mean, you could imagine compensation, but also they need to be worried that what they are feeling may not be the truth of how they should be more healthy. So I like this anecdote a lot. Yeah, but that's my long answer to it. I will try to to convince my stepdad of trying it once to dim down the the TV or wear the glasses in the evening, and then see how he feels see the next morning. Moves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, he, and honestly, one thing that I've talked a lot about with Andrew about this, and I liked he mentioned this, is there's also different domains of light effects, right? So the pupil constriction is very fast. Circadian photoentrainment can happen in a day. But there are these long-term aspects. I think metabolic is going to be one of them, that this is not going to happen in a week. I think metabolic effect of light are going to require a long duration, much longer than people anticipate. I mean, you see this beautiful paper from Joe Takahashi about the importance of time of day. They did everything the same in the night and the day, and they got such different outcomes. It tells you that there is something that is set up. And you think of the paper that Diego from my lab published saying that the retinas required for setting up time-restricted feeding, it tells you that there is a very long-term interaction between the light and the metabolic system. And for depression, for example, you need at least multiple weeks before you start getting 
getting the negative aspect of the short day. It's not one day or two days, right? So I think you, we really have to start thinking of also different domains, time domains, that even beyond circadian uh, for the effects of light. So I, I think, and that's good and bad. It's good that it means that you have to think continuously about light, but it's, uh, and it's good that if you have went out one night or you go out one night in the week, you could compensate. But it's bad because people are not aware of what's happening and they have to be always conscious of, the, of, of their light environment. Great. And something that I wanted to talk with you as well about was uh, your studies on appetite and feeding, because that's, of course, really interesting with respect to what we are doing in the human scenario with type 2 diabetes, with uh, metabolic diseases in general. And you did this study where you looked at the direct effects of light on appetite and feeding behavior. And to, to let me quote you on, on the Huberman Lab podcast, you said that the light informs when the animal is going to eat. What did you mean by that? How does that work? So I think it's, if you think about it, I think it'd be easier for the audience to understand it for sleep. If you think of sleep, it's com we think it's controlled by two factors, right? A homeostatic drive, which is simply how much you're awake you would need to, to compensate by sleep, or what time of the day you, you need to sleep. The, the circadian clock determines the time of day. But there's a third component that is really cool, is that animals can also use the light environment to inform them that if their homeostatic and circadian rhythms drives are kind of affected, that there is this direct effect that it cannot be night right now if my retina is being super activated by light. And I think that makes total sense for the feeding component because so we know that the arcuate nucleus is driven by the SCN. We know that the arcuate nucleus is also sensing energy and, and food, and, and that's important for the animal. But we found that actually when the animal's food is applied, when the food is available, it still requires the retina to set up the system with the circadian system. So it, it just occurred to us that just like sleep, feeding may be also dependent on three components, which we call the tripartite model. I mean, honestly, we have such little information right now about the system But it, it really very excites me very much that maybe light could be a factor that could tell animals when to eat. And, and in fact, you know, for example, in birds, they are highly diurnal animal. But if the mother is have pups, uh, cubs, and, you know, there is lack of food in the environment, there is a lot of big males, she can start hunting at night, which is more dangerous But she can change that based on the light-dark environment, even though it's her clock will be telling her you shouldn't be doing this at night, right? So it, it seems that this gives you a flexibility where you could decide based on the environment to either overcome one or the other or to just correlate it with certain aspects of your behavior. And when, when thinking of appetite and, of course, with respect to metabolic diseases, overeating, how do you think the timing of light at the wrong time of the day contributes to overeating. I'm not sure if you did any experiments on that yourself. No, we or... Honestly, we yeah. haven't. This is, this is a question that I am actually very interested in, and I don't know it's very clear how does this happen, but there is no doubt that if you get light at the wrong time of the day, you're going to have sleep deprivation, and sleep deprivation has been incredibly correlated with higher appetite, but not only that, higher appetite for bad foods, like really just incredible. Like you have not only wanting to eat more, but you want to eat more bad food. And it's just 
how does this happen? You know, I honestly don't have the explanation right now. Not not easily and not to be able to to give advice on. So I'm sorry for that. that yeah, no, no worries. I mean, I can just feed that with some uh, n equal one sample from myself when when on the shift work and being sleep restricted after these uh, night shifts and drawing blood in in our patients during the night. The next day, I'm just eating like crazy. I know. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's such a big difference. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really and 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 you know Kong uh, Kong Chen here at NIH is doing these studies. And really he's, tells you that you could tell that the same subjects that would eat healthy, they like fruits. When you sleep deprive them, like they start to avoid the flu and they want sugary stuff, they want fatty stuff. It's just amazing. And, and is it a direct light effect? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. we haven't done that. So I, I don't know that. Yeah, and it's very difficult to also kind of decipher that from the sleep deprivation effect. So so that's why I think for, for an advice, I mean, scientifically, me and you can, can hope to ever uh, figure out the pathways, right? That's our hope in the general. But, but for advice for people, because light in, invariably going to affect your sleep and because we know sleep deprivation, so you know this is going to be affected. For humans, just by helping yourself getting the right light environment, it's going to help your sleep, it's going to help your appetite, it's going to help your metabolism. Yeah. So even though it may not be direct, we will figure out the direct pathways. But for humans' advice, it doesn't hurt you to have a very good light-dark environment because at the end, it's going to be beneficial for you. Brilliant. Great. So then we can move to another aspect of this and... Again, something that I got interested about when, when looking at type 2 diabetes, and I mean type 2 diabetes is often also associated with aging, of course, and something that again struck my mind was that when thinking about the eyes upon aging, something that occurs in, in many people is yellowing of the lenses in the eye. And that is also why cataract surgery is such a big thing and most people at a certain age have to, have to undergo that. And with the yellowing of the lens, of course. You, they tell you, yeah. we, it changes our life, not only for vision. We started sleeping better. You hear stuff like that. Because it's it's doing what the doctors are doing right now. The yellowing of lens is blocking blue light in the day, which is bad. So that's why I just don't understand why you want to do this to healthy people. <laughs> like, this happens with aging. Why do you want to do this to healthy people? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, so because you know, yeah, that's, I, I, was, I was then kind of having the question in mind whether cataract surgery is also kind of a refreshment tool to your circadian system. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, invariably, again, just like we circadian people sometimes don't think of vision. Like, so this whole restoration of good vision is also helping you get the blue light that is required for your non-image system. So it's, it's, it's really doing dual function unintentionally in a way that is helping the patient on both levels, on vision and on AMS system. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And is that actually also the case for aging nocturnal species? So do you also see the same thing happening in mice? Do you know that? I honestly, we've never looked at cataracts in mice, but you could see it in dogs. You could aging and cataracts is very, and, and it's really sad when you see older dogs and, and having yeah. cataracts. 
because they don't do these operations for the dogs. But <laughs> but it 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 happens. I mean, the yellowing of the lens, the the, the cloudiness of the yellow lens is something that happens, uh, and and it's you know clearly as you said, doing it is refreshing both image and an image system. There is no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, Just great. Be it's beautiful that it became an easy operation too. That it's not that you know it's an outpatient. So yeah. No, that's great to mention that as well, because I think people do not think about cataract surgery from that Absolutely. perspective. So it's Absolutely. Absolutely. a great thing to do. Yeah. And uh, one one last thing or one of the last things that I wanted to get into is the, the seasonal changes of light. And of course, with um, in winter having shorter daytime periods with, with sunlight being out with summer, having longer. I think in the in the modern society, we still, of course, all tend to keep our typical nine to five working schedule and also try to, to maintain, of course, according to that working schedule, the same waking up times, the, the same bed times over the entire year. What do you think does that do to, to human health uh, over the seasons? And yeah. do you think there would be really value in trying to be more seasonal with our working schedules. And I, I love that. I mean, honestly, I thought I'm the only one who thinks this way. I'm happy that you think <laughs> this way as well. Because I've always wondered, it, it's just impossible to imagine that the different season you, with the amount of light. And like, for example, in the summer, I really, in the winter, I sleep by 8.30 to 8.45, no problem. Uh, now, because of the change of the time, which is really stupid, sunlight is like till 10. And yeah. it just, it's so hard for me sometimes. Like yesterday, I'm sleeping 9.30. It's just weird. I can't adjust to this one hour shift. And even though it's only one hour, it just occurred to me that when I went to Finland, my friend Petri was saying that people here are manic in the summer and they are more calm in the winter and sleepy. And it just, you know, unless you're living exactly on the equator, I, there is, and, and you could see seasonality in you. If you actually very carefully look at your life and what you eat, you will notice that you'll have a seasonal eating patterns. So personally, I think that one of the strongest, less understood effect on animals and humans is seasonality. For animals, it's easy to understand it, yet people don't talk much about it. Animals cannot breed all the time because the resources are not there. So seasonality is so important for their survival. Now, because we have these protected environment, we don't think of seasonality, but people are finding still effects of the moon on humans. So I, I'm totally with you. I think... I think one thing that worries me about the change in, in the light is that right now people are happy the sun is late, doesn't come out that late in the morning. But imagine in the middle of the winter, if they keep this, this new system, the, the daylight saving, now you have people who are going to have sun later in the night and it's going to take so long in the morning to come up the sun. People are already delayed. So you're delaying them more, but you're not giving them more time to sleep in the morning. Imagine how miserable they're going to be in the morning. It's going to be really a mess up. I think it's going to be worse than the change. It's actually scaring me. I'm really worried about what's going to happen in the winter. And maybe I'm just crazy, but it really scares me because, as you said, there is seasonality. There is, you know, right now we're getting something like 15 hours of light. That's just going to activate you. You wake up, the sun is up. You go to sleep, the sun is not still completely down. Yeah. Versus in, you know, in December or, you know, something like that, you're 
literally will be going 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. from home, still barely sunny, and coming back at 5 and still it's dark. So it's just like, you know, it, it just, I think it's, it's absolutely a fact that this is going to affect us. Unless you're yeah. living in a cave and no, <laughs> nobody lives in a cave. In an office cave, yeah. Yeah, office <laughs> caves are bad anyway for other reasons, you know. But but I'm also I'm also really wondering if there is a circanual clock still. I mean, there are some animals where people have found a circanual clock, and I'm wondering if there is at least a weak circanual clock that is running in us. So that's something that we need to think about. I, I, I mean, to me, honestly, now that you mentioned this, I think the only reason melanopsin has been conserved in evolution is day length measurement. Because really rods can compensate very well for acute light effects. For small pulses of light, rods can do pretty well, the outer retina. But for prolonged treatments, rods fail miserably. The outer retina first miserably. It's melanopsin that is required. And it, as, as I said, if, if you think of animals' reproduction, depending on measuring daily, then it has to be melanopsin that is doing this. And that's why it's never been eliminated in any organism that we have studied. So even in the blind morat, there is tons of melanopsin <laughs> in these animals. So. Yeah, which is insane. Yeah. It is insane. Okay, let's uh, let's make rather a cut here and something that I wanted to to discuss before going into a more personal perspective at the end is that in in general, what do you think? Because that's I think really a problem in our field at the moment is that we have so many nice, beautiful cell experiments and animal studies in the in the field of circadian research. And people like you and I, like Andrew Huberman, we try to to translate these findings to the human scenario with so many limitations in in that translation and with so many still uh, clinical studies that need to be performed. So, what are you? Your thoughts on on this translslational problem that we face and when when trying to tr to I mean, transfer that, it that's a problem in every field but what i like about it in our field is that the suggestions we're giving people if they don't work they don't hurt it's not like we're giving them stuff with side effects or asking them to inject themselves with weird compounds or something like that it's really just the photons, just take these photons. It's something that is natural and truly natural, not natural in the fake way that people use natural. So that's why I feel good about it. I totally agree with you. Some of the stuff may not translate. I mean, I still don't know if primates have the PHB, although, you know, there is a new paper really published in PNAS by Burson and colleagues and in Brown that showing that light can activate the prefrontal cortex of a human. So clearly, and melanopsin-driven light. So clearly, this is something similar between humans and mouse, which is really exciting to me because we discovered that in the mouse. So yeah, absolutely. One thing that keeps me happy and makes me comfortable is that the suggestions and all the, the advice we gave has no side effects. We've, you know, we've talked about don't burn your skin, stuff that is very clear, don't, you know. But apart from that, I mean, all these stuff we've given are very safe and very natural. Yeah, and, and freely accessible, of course. Freely That's... accessible. I mean, clearly doing the experiment and showing that they do occur in humans and showing the circuits and the pathway and showing the same regions would be essential because 
you could then manipulate these regions better. But but I think as as we said for advice, it's not you know it's not worry. It doesn't worry me that we're giving these advice. Yeah. 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 It's probably as you, as you said, it's not as disturbing as changing your diet towards, for example, yeah. a ketogenic yeah. diet as, as some people exactly. propose. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, taking drugs or taking yeah. stuff that has side effects. So, you know, this really is a simple, just exposure to the light, right environment. And I don't think that's gonna, if any, it's gonna lead to improvements. There's no doubt about it. Brilliant perspective here. Yeah. And then, Looking at the translation to practice, I would like to have one, like the most important take home message for listeners here to keep in mind with respect to what we talk about today. What's what's the key message? What would you say? My key message is start thinking of light, not in the aspect of your image function, because your image deceives you. You have to see the same way in a very bright sunlight and a very dim room. You need to start thinking of light for you in the non-image system how much I'm exposed, how really bright it is. And, you know, if you have a phone, you could measure lux in the environment. Just get these numbers. Just see how much they change and something that you think they are not changing that much. Just for fun. And that is going to allow you to really regulate your environment much better. And honestly, based on all my friends that are doctors, that they say they tell this to their patients, The patients come in and say, you know, this changed my life. And I've seen it after the podcast with Andrew Huberman. Many people on, on websites say, I've done these small changes and changed my life. And mm. I, I really believe that. And I'm very happy that my research and the research of others is changing people's life to the better. So that's something I hope will be happening and to see it happening. It's, it's really just heartwarming. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. Great, great message to take away for the end. And coming to the end, Samar, I would like to to hear some some more of a personal perspective. So, for example, what is your your future research heading to, and what what are your personal goals for your, I mean, already super successful research career? What's still up at the horizon here? Honestly, I'm 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 excited about three things right now a lot. The first one is understanding the parallel input from all these different light. Components. So we know that IPRGCs are at least six different subtypes. They project to different brain regions. How do they interact? Why they have this parallelization? Why they have different lines? That's something that we're very interested in figuring out the complexity. So this is a very basic research. The second one is something I think you're also interested in. I found which would be interesting to talk personally at some point, but really how light affects the periphery and the sympathetic system. It's something metabolism, feeding, based on the 2018 paper that we have published. And third, what is the mechanism of how this light input to the to the thalamus, the dorsal thalamus in the perihabinearal nucleus, affect cognition, affect mood, and how do they interact with each other and why they are usually co-morbid in humans. Like if you have depression, you have learning problems, yet they have different circuits. So these are the three major aspects. I mean, there is a lot of developmental stuff that I'm interested in, but honestly, I don't have the person power to do this right now. But these are the three major aspects. And I think understanding how this works will allow us a lot to understand a lot of the importance of light and the importance of the brain regions that light project in, in Africa. And just because one thing you're interested in, like to me, it is still shocking that the time-restricted feeding effect requires the visual thalamus. 
Like, honestly, the last area I would have imagined to input to time-restricted feeding would be part of the, the LGN complex, the lateral geniculate nucleus. But it is actually possibly the MPY neuron in that LGN complex. So it's pretty exciting, this interaction between light, vision, and feeding, metabolism, mood, and learning. So that's what really excites me for the future. Very cool. And from, for me as a PhD student in his last year, I'm, I'm really interested also in your, in your personal career perspective. So with already being so successful and having contributed to so many great discoveries in the field, what is there still as a personal goal for you when it comes to your career? That's, that's something I think is really interesting. Honestly, at, at some point I thought, you know, I haven't won a lot of awards and I was like, <laughs> oh, but honestly, I don't care anymore. Uh, what really excites me right now is the fact to see that my people are successful and to see the young generation taking stuff in different direction. Like, you know, for example, Tiffany Schmidt, Alan Shen, Ali Guler, all of them have been successful on their own doing beautiful stuff that I had nothing to do with. But even having Corinne and Diego, Diego Fernandez and Corinne Byer in my lab right now, Diego doing all this beautiful stuff that I've talked about and, and Corinne finding the ventral portion of the LGN having such incredible input uh, from IPRGCs and non-IPRGCs and showing the lam uh, lamination of this region. Just, I feel so good just seeing people successful from my lab. Honestly, this is what makes me happy right now. I'm like getting old and, you know, <laughs> I have a couple of years to go, but just seeing the new generation coming with new ideas, new perspective, I think that's what I'm looking for, honestly, to the future. That's all I care about right now. That's, that's great to hear. Yeah, cool. And one last thing that I like to finish off every episode with is any kind of personal funny anecdote that you can think of does not have to necessarily be from your research work. I mean, in the circadian field, a lot of funny things can happen on test days, I guess. Um, so if there is anything that you would be willing to share with listeners for some kind oh. of entertainment aspect for the end. Yeah, I, I think I've told this to anybody who, who, who knows me. I think the funniest thing when I first did the animal that allowed me to show the connection from the I to the SCN, I used the LAG-Z system, which is a colorimetric reaction. So you could see it directly when you dissect the retina. So I got the retina out and I saw these beautiful neurons that are labeled with their axons going to the optic disc. So I literally was shouting on my microscope, like, The experiment worked. After a year of doing the knock-in, it wasn't as easy as CRISPR. You know, I was coming from an invertebrate system working in the mouse. I was shouting so hard and jumping up. So I went and literally showed the whole neuroscience department. It's not a small department at Hopkins Medical. So I went to David Ginty. I went to Alex Kolotkin. I run, run to all my friends and everybody. And so then, like, I was so tired by the end of the day, I went to everybody. My advisor come to my bench and he's like, is there something you need to tell me? I said, what? You mean you tell me you didn't see the lax Z staining yet? I think, King, you're the only one in the whole department who hasn't seen it. So I to everyone apart from my advisor. It wasn't intentional, but he was not happy about that. <laughs> that's, that's the funny story. That I yeah, that, that's a good one. Okay. I still, honestly, it still gives me the shivers uh, seeing like how, I mean, you've had that experience, but I know in science, our successes are so little 
But this is something that I will never forget. Like the minute I saw the retina, I saw the blue color under the microscope. I still have this image imprinted in my brain because it was so beautiful for me. It's just unbelievable that when an experiment works. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really biology at work in front of your eyes, right? That's that's exactly. the fascinating thing about it. I think Absolutely. when I have these moments in, in my research work is rather when I get the data from, from my lab technicians and the data yeah. makes sense from one exactly. second to the other. Yeah, yeah the same. Yeah. <laughs> So, for example, having a, a gene of interest and you you had muscle biopsies, you had so much work going into it, and then you see that your gene of interest is actually cycling in yeah, muscle. Exactly. That, that's exactly. great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, see the cycle. It's just yeah. as exciting. Yeah. yeah. At the very end now, so how can listeners find and interact with you? What's the best way? I mean, you are active on social media, Instagram, yeah. Twitter, what I really like because I think most people... In, in your research generation are not that active. So really, my yeah, I think Twitter, Twitter is my favorite Instagram, but Twitter, like the official Twitter account that I have is, is the one I like. Don't go to the political one if because it's just political. But yeah, the, the, the Samer that Hattar one is, is the one I think people can, you know, enter. I would like to be more active, but I'm honestly, I am also incredibly busy. So it's not, it's not very easy for me to be more active and respond to everything, unfortunately. It, it takes up a lot of time. I can yes. I can also tell you. So I, I I personally I had like four months of mostly data collection, a lot of night shift work, then traveling in between. So being yeah. completely jet lagged all yeah. over. So I yeah. did not have any time to work on the podcast. So you're the yeah. the first one since four months now that I'm recording. It, it's so funny you say that because honestly I've been so good keeping my weight off and. In the last few months, I gained like something like 10 pounds because I've been traveling, staying up late, drinking, messed up my sleep-wake cycle, and all of a sudden, 10 pounds, you know? It just, it you could see it. You could see the impact of messing up your sleep-wake cycle instantly on, on your metabolism, right? And so I'm trying to get back in order. And it's just, it's not easy because, you know, you, you and you, for you still doing the shift experiment, I think partly why I gained a lot of weight in the graduate school. Also, I was doing four days rhythm experiments. So it, it just really messed up my sleep-wake rhythms completely. Yeah, yeah I, it's really nice that you mentioned that. Absolutely true. But then, Sama, we are coming to the end. I really thank you a lot for all the and insights. That's all the wonderful questions and the corrections. Uh, I think that was a very nice addition. I think I need to think more about the red glasses. I like this. I need to think more and see if I could find the reason or, or at least the hypothesis to explain it. With that, we wrap up the episode with Samar Attar. That was the second part. Combined with the first part, I think you really get a nice overview of Samar Hatar's perspective on how light influences human physiology, although his background is, as you noticed, also in, in Drosophila and the fly model, but also in, in mice uh, with less experience um, applied to, to human clinical trials. But I think together we um, painted a clear picture of translating some findings from the animal models to humans possibly. And I hope you really enjoyed it and you find this topic of light now as interesting as I do. I will have soon also some more data myself coming out on light and how it affects uh, type 2 diabetes. 
Um, so some more human work coming out from our lab. And um, I will make sure that we're going to have more light light topic related guests on the podcast in the future. But for now, so for the next episodes, we're going to switch gears again a little bit. So that means going away from the light topic, we're going to go to more diet related interventions. And we're going to discuss in the theme of the 24 seven aspect of the podcast, we're going to discuss the timing perspective on when you consume your calories. So at what times you eat and the timing of food intake will be the general new theme for the next episodes. But as said before, we're going to come back to light topics. We're also going to come back to the muscle clock that we had in, in the first episodes. We're going to come back to exercise interventions, mitochondrial um, function, um, more the, the skeletal muscle perspective as we had for sleep deprivation. So we're going to come back to these topics once in a while. And um, I'm also very keen still to introduce you to the topic of temperature interventions. So that's going to be the next topic after the timing of food intake that is next coming up in the uh, following two to three episodes. With that, I thank you for your attention and for your interest in listening to the episodes of the 24-7 Muscle Podcast. You find, as always, the show notes and all the references we discussed on 247muscle.com. And um, any kind of feedback is, as always, very much appreciated from my side. And I yeah, would just like to thank you at the end.